Everybody say living by the gospel. I know your theme is about worshiping on purpose, but how can we worship on purpose when we don't understand the gospel? And how many know that even some of the older people may know the gospels, but some of the young people may not? And one, th one thing I've served as a youth pastor over 10 years, and I, and I came to understand that um, a lot of young people still don't understand the gospel, no matter how long they've been in church. For some older people and some parents, it's, they're happy to see their kids in church. They're happy to see their kids doing um, activities and dancing and singing. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're saved. There's a lot of kids who have said a sinner's prayer, but they're not changed on the inside. And only the gospel can change on the inside. And so I want to share concerning living by the gospel. Many people who are in the church aren't living by the gospel, as you can tell, in the day that we're living in. Um, some don't even know what the gospel is. It is a shame. We read the Bible, and yet we don't understand the God of the Bible. Uh, we are living in a time where some adult Christians don't even know what the gospel is. I want to share with you some truths concerning the gospel. The gospel has been misunderstood, twisted, seemingly lost in this generation. You have the gospel of prosperity. You have the gospel of a Christ that is not mentioned in the Bible. How many know that Christ is not a genie God? He's the real God. <laughs> and so my ob objective to tonight is to help to inform you or to remind you of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can ask about 100 Christians what the gospel is. You'll probably get about 30 or maybe 90 different answers. You ask some people what the gospel is, they'll say the gospel is the first four books of the New Testament. Some people will say the gospel is um, the good news of Jesus, but don't even understand what they're saying. Some people will say the gospel is music. <laughs> I mean, you know, today, the, even the music that we're listening to is not really gospel music. It's more inspirational music. It's not God-centered. It's man-centered. When you have songs about my inheritance, my deliverance, my victory, how I many you know that it's taking, this, the, it's taking our attention off of the Christ and upon us? And so we need a reality check of what the truth of the Bible says. We, we, sometimes we use the Bible as a, um, a lucky charm where we will go to our favorite scriptures, but not understanding the unity of the Bible, how there are many different books, but it's really one book. And it's telling a story of Christ. How the Bible, the Old Testament is God's promises made and the New Testament is God's promises fulfilled in Christ. And how Jesus is the kingdom of God. You have a message even today, a lot of people are talking about the kingdom, but really not talking about the kingdom. When some people are preaching about the kingdom, young people, they're preaching about our assignments, our purposes, but we, we neglect to see what Christ's purposes was. Why did Jesus come to die? And tonight, I just want to share a little bit of this. This may be something that you have already heard or just a reminder. But how many know that we need to hear the gospel over and over and over? One man of God said, preach the gospel every day to yourself. We need to remind ourselves where we came from. 
And as you read the Old Testament, you'll see that the Lord constantly provoked his children to remember that he brought them out of Egypt. We need to be reminded that at one time we were far away from God. But because of the blood of Christ, we are made near. The gospel is the heartbeat of Christianity. If you remove the gospel from Christianity, you have religion. You really don't have the true gospel, the true God. The gospel is much more than moralism. Even as a youth pastor, I made the mistake of serving and trying. We did the True Love Ways, the abstinence program, where people, kids made a commitment to not have sex before marriage, and they went through the routine, but the very same kids end up falling into sexual sins. The goal of Christianity is not to get people, young people, to act right. That is moralism. And how many know there are some young people who are not saved, who live good lives? I had a job with this friend growing up um, in Trenton, and he was my best friend. And, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Arkansas. I didn't really know that such thing as Joe Witnesses when I came up to Trenton, which was a culture shock for me. You know, I'm born in Arkansas. I was in, in, in an elementary school where I was one of 12 blacks. And, and then I come to a, a middle school where all black people, we have a black teacher, which was very unusual. And um, I don't know why I told that story. <laughs> My point is I had a Joe and his friend um, who, who was a virgin like myself. And I was like, wow. That's cool, you know, you're a virgin. And I, I'm, I actually was thinking like, wow, so I need to live right. But how many know that you can live right and still not make it to heaven? And the scripture boldly says that it's not by works, lest any man should boast. But it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we're saved. So if Christ doesn't save us, we can't get into heaven. We can say all the right stuff. We can quote all the right scriptures. You remember in Matthew chapter 7 where it says that there's a category of people that says, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these things? These are people who are around the kingdom but weren't necessarily in the kingdom. So there's going to be a group of people on that great day that's going to stand before the Lord who says, I've done, I've done this. I've even witnessed I've even sung songs. I've even preached. And the Lord will have to say unto them, I never knew you. I never approved of your lifestyle. I never approved of your dead works. So we need to make sure. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that we need to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. You know, the greatest lie that I found, I grew up in church. The greatest lie that I found among church folks is to actually believe there are some people who actually believe that they're saved, but they're not. How many know that's the most dangerous place in the whole entire world? To actually believe that you're born again and not be born again. To actually be like the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees who were religious, who were seeking God. They sought God so much, they missed him when he came. There are some Christians, or professing Christians, I should say, who are seeking God, seeking an experience. They love to worship worship. They love to have faith in their faith. They learn, love to make the right confession. 
but God is far from their hearts. We have to get the gospel right, young people and older people. We have to make sure that we have the real Christ. Do we really have him? Paul says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. To see if you're in the faith. There's a possibility that even tonight, those who were born in the church still not be, born, be, be in the church. You might have been around the church, but really to have the grace of God to capture your heart. See, when, when you really are born again, no one has to pump, push, pump you or prime you to worship God. Because you, in your spirit says, according to Romans 8, that we receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Your spirit wants to praise God. If you're truly born again, you want to praise God. No one has to say, come on, young people, praise God. Because it's an automatic thing. Worship is a response of an understanding of the God of the Bible. And when we understand this God, we will respond to him. We're either going to love him or walk away from him. We're either going to embrace him or we're going to embrace ourselves. And so this gospel challenges us to examine ourselves, to make sure and see if we're in the faith. The gospel is not just for the, for the lost. Growing up, I went to, into Camden and Mount Holly witnessing with my youth pastor and even witnessing, it's not just for the lost. The gospel is for every child of God. We are saved by this gospel and we're sustained by it. It is our very strength. If we don't meditate on this gospel every day, then we, we, we might not be saved. Without a proper understanding of what the gospel is, we rely on our own works. The gospel is vital to every believer. It would, take a, a, it would take a lifetime to fully understand the immeasurable works of God that he worked in Christ. We are in need of the precious Holy Spirit to unveil the gospel to us. It, as a Christian, it is our duty and our task to know the gospel of Christ and to boldly proclaim it and to live by it. The gospel is for everyone, both young and old. People who know the gospel of Christ, live by it, are threats to, to Satan and his kingdom. I want to encourage everyone to begin to study the book of Romans if you haven't. Because it is one of the best books to study when studying the gospel. It is a book that Paul outlines what the gospel of Christ clearly is. Let's start right there. Romans chapter 1. You got your Bibles, young people? should never come to church without your Bible. Romans chapter 1. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Romans chapter 1, verses 16. Start with verse 16. When you got it, say amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Let's stop there. A lot of people want power, but they don't want the gospel. People are like, Lord, send your power, send your power. What are you going to do with the power? The power is in the gospel. If there's no gospel, there's no power. It is the power of God for salvation. 
For to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it or in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, growing up, I used to think that, you know, King James says the just shall live by faith. I used to think living by faith was, let me live by faith, confess some things, believe some things, believe for some things. But this specific scripture is talking about allowing the faith of Christ to govern your entire life. Uh, we, I, as a youth pastor, I took um, young people over on missions. We, we've been to Jamaica, to L.A., um, and then we also went to Mexico. And the, the, the organization that we went with actually encouraged us to not use Christianese or terms that we use in Christians and Christianity today. For example, you said, you know, how are you doing? I'm blessed. Well, that doesn't really make sense to somebody who's not saved. Uh, I've been washed in the blood. Whoa, washed in the blood. Okay. <laughs> so they basically told us to use, don't use terms that we use in today's Christendom. Um, and one of the things that, you know, in some countries we'll see, we'll, we see that when you go and give the, preach the gospel and you say, well, ask somebody, you know, when you give an altar call for somebody to get saved, what will happen if, if that particular nation has different gods, they'll add Jesus part of their collections of gods. And you know, they do that. We do that here in America. We have people come to an altar and they say a prayer and they actually just added Jesus to their collection of gods. And so this, this righteous shall live by faith is dealing with allowing the faith of God the faith in Jesus to govern your entire life. It is by that faith that we live. Let's continue. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. For who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So let's begin with this. The, the gospel of Jesus begins with the holiness of God, with the holiness of God. How can we really understand the gospel and not understand the holiness of God? What does it mean that God is holy? And let me give you some definitions. Um, when we say God is holy, the Bible says God is holy, he is another. Everybody say he is another. He's not like us. He's not like us. Sometimes we have a tendency to sing songs and bring God down to our level. I mean, I'm not hating on this song. We, we've sung this song when I was a youth pastor a whole lot. But the song, for example, I am a friend of God. We, that song has a tendency to bring God down to our level. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. But then Jesus said in John chapter 15, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. So some people are singing, I'm a friend of God, and has not obeyed the gospel. They're not a friend of God. <laughs> They're an enemy of God. <laughs> um, and so we have to make sure that we're not bringing God down to our level. He is another. He's not like us. Yes, we're made in his image, but he's not like us. 
You know, even in the Old Testament, the way that God communicated with his people, he did not use um, visible forms. And even today, we shouldn't use visible forms. For example, the Bible speaks of in the second commandment out of the Ten Commandments, that shall not have no graven image, make no graven images. Sometimes people use images to contact God. For example, I had a young man come up to me. I was preaching about idols, and he would say, you know, every time I pray, I use this cross, and I rub this cross. How many know that that's an image? How God communicates, even some of, some of us, when we're in, we, want, we want God to manifest himself, and we'll say, God, give me a sign. DMX cried that many years ago. See where he's at now. Um, give me a sign. No, you don't seek a sign. The Bible says a wicked and adulterous generation seek a sign. And the only sign they'll get is the sign of Jonah, how the son of man was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So we, we, we as Christians don't seek signs. What's your sign? We don't go by that either. <laughs> so God does not communicate with humanity through visible forms. He communicates with words. So God speaks to us through his word. Everybody say, the Bible is God speaking to me. Anytime I want to hear from God, I need to read my Bible. God has spoken, and we need to listen. Okay, and so holiness of God is that God is not like us. Like us. He is pure. He is perfect. He's, he is sinless. He is righteous. This is, this is an attribute of God that we must understand in order to comprehend the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing in the Bible that God is compared to. You cannot compare the Lord. You know, the Bible says in, um, in Isaiah, who, who, who is like me? There is nothing in the Bible that can compare to the Lord. You know, um, Walmart is not like the Lord. Walmart always saves, but Jesus saves to the utmost. No one is like the Lord. You can laugh at that. That was a joke. <laughs> uh, there is nothing that is like the Lord. He is in the class by himself. He sits high and looks low. And we stand in the awe of the Lord. We stand awe of the Lord. When we say awesome, we're in awe of the Lord. And one of the things with the gospel, the gospel brings back the awe of the Lord in our hearts. We're in awe of the Lord. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6. Is, um, Exodus 15 verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. We're talking about living by the gospel. When you understand the gospel, the gospel will cause you to worship on purpose. Living by the gospel. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Okay, how many know that there's some King Uzziahs in our lives that need to die? There are some things that are blocking us from seeing the Lord. In this year, the year that this king died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe 
build the temple. How many know that we serve a God that is not low, but he's high? He's up on a throne. The Bible says heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. How many know that that is a God that is big? And in order to understand the gospel, we must see the, the grandness of the Lord and how large the Lord is. He's not a small God. In Acts chapter 4, the earlier church prayed this prayer. It says, the God who made the heavens and the earth. Sometimes that's a good practice. When you go to pray, young people, go pray with thinking that the Lord is, because he is, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Why? What does that do? Thank you. That helps us to understand he is big, he is huge. David said this, magnify the Lord with me. Well, how can you make the Lord big? Because he's already big. You make him big in your mind. You make him big in your heart. See, people need to, we need to understand how big the Lord is. He is the Lord who sits upon the throne, high and lifted up. He's even called the most high. You can't get more, you can't get higher than the Lord. He is the most high. And his train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Notice this, this, this being, these two beings had six wings. I'm convinced Two of the wings was representing how holy the Lord is. It says, two of his wings, he covered his face. How many know that when we really encounter the Lord, we won't be singing, I am a friend of God. We will be on our face. Sometimes we're praying, Lord, show yourself to us. Come and met, uh, encounter us. You remember the children of Israel and how they were complaining to Moses? You're always talking to God. Set up a meeting between God and us. And Moses went up to the mountain, set up this meeting, and the Lord starts speaking. The people's like, no, you deal with God. You deal with God. I'm telling you, he's the same God. And he wants to manifest himself to his people. But if he really was to come into a service, I think we'll be afraid. Because the Bible says that, you know, when God was using Peter in his shadow, great fear fell upon the people. And then also, when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the, to the Holy Ghost inside of Peter, they died. How many know if the Lord was to show up in our services, some people may die? Even when you don't rightly discern the Lord's Supper, some people die because they don't rightly discern the Lord's Supper. And so, we, this is how big and aggressive this God is. The Bible actually says in Nahum that the Lord is terrible. I know we don't like to view the Lord like that. We just want to say, yeah, you know, there was a T-shirt many years ago called Jesus is my homeboy. He's not your homeboy. He is God. He's your creator. Psalm 100, we are his creation. We are the sheep of his pasture. He is the, our maker. He created us. See, God, check this out. God loves his glory more than he loves us. The Bible says he shares his glory with no man. He told Moses, he says, if I was to show you my glory, show you my face, you will die. And the Bible says, no man has seen God and lived. How many know that this is the awesomeness of God? We're not just talking about a fantasy. 
This is reality. If we believe that the Bible is God-inspired and the inerrancy of scriptures, we must believe the message of the Bible, that God is holy. He, his holiness is something to be desired. David says, I, I, des I desire, this one thing that I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord, that I may behold the beauty of his holiness. God, show us your holiness. Show us. See, when God shows us his holiness, we see our sins. We see the real us. Two of the wings covered their faces. Two of the wings covered their feet. You remember God calling Moses? says, take off your shoes for the ground that you're standing on is holy. So here are these angels who have, who has not, they, they have not sinned. And yet, the fear of God, the holiness of God, they covered up their feet. They say, he's so holy. And two of, of, this, of, of the wings they flew with. And check this out, verse 3. And one called to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Notice this. They didn't say that to the Lord. They said that to each other. There are angels and creatures in heaven right now who their, their job is to go be Go around the throne of God day and night declaring his holiness. I want to submit to you that tonight, tonight, young people, that I'm convinced they are seeing a glimpse of his holiness every time they go around his throne. They're seeing another glimpse of his holiness, and they're declaring one to another, holy, 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 holy. Holy. If we were to see a glimpse of the Lord, we would declare to each other, holy, holy, holy. You can't say anything else because that's who he is. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So that these two beings are saying to each other, holy. This is what Isaiah is saying. He's seeing the Lord on the throne, and he's seeing these two creatures saying to each other, holy, holy. The gospel begins with understanding how holy God is. Let's continue. Verse 4, in the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. The gospel, when people begin to see the holiness of God, they'll see how lost they are. They are. See, the problem in today's Christendom is that we have a gospel that is about man. We have a Christless Christianity. We have a God without, we, we have a gospel without the God. We want to sell people to go to heaven, but they don't want God to be there when they get there. We need to desire this holy God. And tonight, if you don't desire this holy God, you need to ask God for repentance, the gift of repentance. 
Say, Lord, give me a desire for you. Give me a hunger for your holiness. Give me a desire to see you for who you are. Do we know this God? Do we know this God? Sometimes we cry out, Lord, give me your power. Give me favor. Give me blessings. And I'm not against that. But there's something greater he wants to give us. And that's salvation. That, that's a work of grace in our hearts. Do you understand the greatest peace that a person can have is peace with God? Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How I many know that that's what, that's what the gospel is about? Having peace with God. Young people, you're preparing for life. You're preparing, going to college and, and preparing for your careers and so forth. Preparing to get married one day, preparing to have kids, preparing to have a house. But you need to prepare for life after the funeral. You know, it's like this. Some people prepare for the wedding day, but not for the marriage. They'll spend $45,000 for one day to impress all their families and friends and get a divorce in less than five years. I mean, I don't understand that. Why don't we invest in premarital counseling, understanding the different roles of males and females, understanding how to communicate, understanding how, what it means to, to be married in the sight of God so that we can li live long. See, marriage is much more than love. It's based, it's based on covenant. See, the marriage itself is a representation of the gospel, how Christ loves the church. So this is why same-sex marriages are demonic and anti-Christ, because it distorts the very display of the gospel. Are you, are you listening? So our God is a holy God. We need to prepare for peace with God after the, this life. We are one heartbeat away from eternity. We're one heartbeat away from eternity, just like that. The Bible says in James 4 that life is like a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Do you understand? Do you remember the time when you were little and then you were in, in elementary school in the middle? Time waits for no man. Time is ticking. And we're one day closer to the return of the Lord. So we need to get the gospel right. This holiness, the holiness of God, that how he is not like us. My second point is this. It's the corruption of man. See, if you ask the average person, how, how, you know, are they good? Most of the people will say they're good. I'm a good person. You know, I, I just don't, I don't kill nobody. I'm, I'm good. You know, you go witnessing on the streets. You ask, so, you know, you think you're a good person? Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I, 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 I go to school. I, I, I honor my parents. I may curse every once in a while, maybe smoke some weed, but I'm good. How many know that we all, we all are evil? We're all evil. And people don't want to really understand. They don't want to grab hold of that truth. Because that's why the gospel of self-esteem, oh, you're somebody. You know, um, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, really? That's good. Because I have a wonderful plan for my life. God loves me. Wow. Ooh, I love me. I, I can give this gospel. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that those things are not true, but if you're trying to appeal to someone's 
natural needs or emotional needs to get them to see they need to come to Christ. It's like we try to manipulate people to enter the kingdom. We try to sneak them in. A, say this prayer and you'll be saved. We try to sneak them in. How many ever been there before? Well, you're trying to sneak somebody into the kingdom of God. Say this prayer like there's, there's a magical thing with this prayer. I mean, there has to be a change of heart. There has to be God dealing with our sins. And we got to understand that we're corrupt. Genesis chapter 3 lets us know the fall of man. That man fell from grace, fell from a state of righteousness. And Genesis chapter 8 verse 21 says, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So you can see babies, they're evil. <laughs> they're like, I want this, mine, mine. They'll smack, you've seen, you've seen kids that smack their parents. You know, we would probably like, Woof. <laughs> But we are evil. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful, and above all, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts are evil in the sight of God. Let me, let me bring it to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So here Jesus is saying that we are evil. You who are evil. And so when we understand the holiness of God, Isaiah says, for I am lost. Woe is me, I am lost. The next part says, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Notice this, that when we understand the holiness of God, we understand how lost we are and how wicked we are. We understand how wicked the people around us are. Isaiah saw his society being evil. He says, I dwell among a people who have unclean lips. When we see God properly, we see ourselves properly, and we see our society properly. Otherwise, we're telling the society, you're good. You just need to say this prayer. You need to join the social club. See, we get people joining a social organization called church, and they're not changed on the inside. It has to be a change of heart. God's grace must be dealt, God's grace must be applied to the human heart. Let me tell you about this. I'm almost finished. The bad news. We're talking about the good news. We're talking about living by the gospel, living by the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and we know that the gospel means good news. But how can we appreciate the good news if we don't understand the bad news? Um, the bad news is this, the wrath of God. Psalm 105 says, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Nahum chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. And the Lord takes vengeance upon his adversaries. And he keeps wrath for his enemies. And you have to see this, John chapter 3, verse 36. Go over there, John chapter 3, verse 36. We're talking about living by the gospel. And when we are living by the gospel, we will worship on purpose. 
John chapter 3, verse 36. You got to say amen. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. God's wrath is upon those who are not born again, those who are not saved. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 through 17 talks about that when the wrath, when the lamb comes, he's coming with wrath. That even both the great and the small, the noble, will all say, mountain, fall upon us, that you may hide us from him who has wrath in his hands. The Jesus that we're serving, the Jesus that we profess is a wrathful Jesus. He is a terrible Jesus. I know that doesn't like, whoa, what are you saying? But it's in the Bible. <laughs> he is a God who is jealous, a God who will share his glory with no other. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 talks about that there's none that is righteous. And the wrath of God remains upon the children of disobedience. God's wrath. His wrath. The bad news is his wrath is against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. His wrath, his anger, his judgment. Go, my last scripture, Romans 5. You got to say Amen. The bad news is what? The wrath of God. So if I'm not saved, the wrath of God is upon me. Understanding the gospel is understanding the holiness of God, that God is holy. Understanding that man is corrupt, and because of sin, God is going to punish sin. The good news is this, that Christ satisfied the wrath of God. Christ satisfied the wrath of God. See, it's an insult to say the Lord died to give me a purpose. The Lord died to give me success. There was something greater on his mind than my, su my success, my purpose. He was sent to satisfy the wrath of God. He is a ransom. Let's look at this, verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous man. You know, some may die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved by him from what? All right, I want to submit to you tonight that God sent Jesus to save us from himself. God sent Jesus to save us from himself. God is holy, man is evil, and God has to deal with evil, sin. And Jesus 
died in our place. We were supposed to be, we were supposed to receive the wrath of God. We were destined for God's wrath. And Jesus saved us, not from the devil, but from the wrath of God. Matthew 1 says, I, his name shall be Emmanuel. He shall save his people from their sins. Okay, sin is an offense to who? So God sent Jesus to save us from himself. God crushed Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased God to crush his own son. See, we talk about love. I, I want to know what love is. I, I want love. I want love. Show me love. I want somebody to love me. But God's love is that he crushed his own son. He was wounded for our transgressions. See, he didn't die as a guilty man. He died as an innocent man, a sinless man, the perfect lamb of God, a lamb without any sin. His life, see, it wasn't just his death, but his life had to be sinless in order for his death to be received by God Almighty. And so God sent Jesus to rescue us from his wrath. Are you see, see, the Bible speaks of, in Romans 3, 21 through 26, that Christ's blood is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, Christ not only wiped away our sins, but he also satisfied the wrath of God, and check this out, and turned that wrath into favor. The reason why we, God is pleased with us is because of Jesus. See, living by the gospel means to understand that Christ's death was for us, that his love was so great that he was willing to crush his own son in our place. And when we receive this, now we're under the favor of God. Now God can bless us, not because we do what's right, because all our works are as filthy rags, our righteousness, we cannot satisfy this wrath. And God's son satisfied this wrath. Now we're accepted. Jesus was rejected. Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? So that you and I, Ephesians 1, could be accepted in the beloved. Are you with me? And so as a result of understanding this gospel, I will worship and I will praise because the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And what is the testimony? That Jesus died for me. That's my testimony. See, it's to say God bless me for a car, that's wonderful. But the greatest testimony is that he died for me. I am the redeemed. Let the redeem of the Lord say so. Say what? Say what they've been redeemed from. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We've been redeemed from sickness, poverty, and de spiritual death. We've been redeemed from the wrath. We've been set. God, God satisfied his own wrath in his son. He was crushed so that we can be accepted. See, he was, he, the Bible says that he didn't, he, he didn't not open his mouth so that we could open our mouths. He took our names and placed it in the Lamb's book of life and gave us his name to use 
on the earth. This is the gospel. The message doesn't get any greater than that. If you can't get excited over that, you're not born again. I'm telling you, we were on our way to a burning hell. We were on our way to experiencing this wrathful God. But God sent Jesus. That's love. That's love. That's much more than a feeling. See, the feelings come and go. But that love, that, that God's, God's love, that everlasting love, that who can separate us from the love of God? See, it doesn't matter what I face. Though I may die early, I'll still have peace with God because of God's love. Are you with me? Much greater than my purpose, there is something greater. See, the gospel gives us purpose. See, just like Jesus was on a mission, we're on a mission now. And the mission is, of all different purposes, it's to say the same thing. It's to declare that Christ satisfied the wrath of God. See, how many of y'all seen The Passion of the Christ? Mel Gibson. Wonderful movie, bless, you know. But if you're a sinner and you don't know much about Jesus, you go see that movie, you'll come away with like, wow, he died. Wow, that's good. But you don't know why he died. You don't come away understanding why he died. He died to satisfy the wrath of God. There are many other things, but the main thing was he was to satisfy the wrath of God. My last thing is, how do we respond to this gospel? Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The sin that God will send people to hell over, and I did say God will send people to hell over. It's a sin of rejecting the, the, the price that Jesus paid. When we reject Christ, we are doomed. The Bible says repent, which means a not just a feeling. Sometimes repenting, people say, well, I'm repenting, and they cry. That's not necessarily mean that you're repenting. Repenting means to go the opposite way. I've seen young people, youth pastor again, I've seen young people come to the altar and cry, <gasps> and they feel conviction. Go away the same way they came down. Crying doesn't move God. Faith does. Believing in Christ, having faith in Christ. Repentance is turning away, divorcing sin, cutting ties up with sin. I reject sin, and I embrace the gift of righteousness in Christ. I turned away my old life. I admit that I am wicked. I admit that God is holy. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe that God actually raised him from the dead. I believe that he died for my sins and that God raised him from the dead for my justification, that I stand before God innocent because of Jesus. That is our response. God is the gospel. God is the gospel. Living by the gospel will cause me to worship on purpose. When I see Jesus for who he is and what he's done. See, the greatest, the greatest understanding that we can get is to understand what God did for us in Christ. Ephesians 1 says that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power that he worked in Christ when, you, when he raised him from the dead. We want to understand the power of this resurrection. We, un, we need to understand what God did for us in Christ. 
God is, you know, some people say, oh, you know, we need to seek. I'm seeking his hand. I'm seeking this. I'm seeking. We need to understand what he's already has done in Christ. He's provided everything that we need in Christ. Join me standing. Living by the gospel means depending upon the gospel. We are to live by this gospel. Every eye open, every head up, no music. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Dwayne, I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I have not encountered this Christ that you talked about. But I want to give my life to Christ. I want to cry out for repentance. I want God to give me the grace of repentance. That's you. I want you to raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Don't clap, please. I don't want anything to deal with your emotions. I want you to make a, a God decision in responding to the Spirit of God. I want you to be bold and brave enough to come down to the altar. You raise your hand, or you should have raised your hand. I want you to come to the altar, and I want you to kneel at the altar. You kneel, you talk to God. You hear you want to get saved, real. Allow that grace to deal with your heart. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? The Spirit of God, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Is there another? If you're in a backslidden condition, you're not, you're not living right. You have rejected the Lord through your life. You know that you need to be reclaimed. I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. Anybody else? Thanks, I just want to, if you're born again, you know you say, lift up your hands and you, you begin to pray. Pray and ask, ask God to deal with their hearts. Father, we thank you. We thank you for meeting their spiritual needs. Thank you for giving them the gift of repentance. Oh, God, I pray that you'll pour it out.